You are listening to the Overflow Podcast, a ministry of First Denton. For more information on Overflow, please visit overflowdenton.org. My entire life. Can we give him a hand for leaving? Thank you. Hey, Jay Wood, before you leave, uh, I love that song, by the way, right? Do y'all, do y'all, like, do y'all, like, do y'all like that? It's been around for a while, but how, you said yes. What's your, what, how old are you? I'm just wondering. 22. So it's been around. How long has the song been around? Okay, 10 years. So did you, did you hear it when you were 12? Do you remember that? You don't, okay? For those of you who don't know, this is how sensitive people in the church are. I was sitting there talking to, to, to Aaron about it. So we changed a word around there, right? So it used to say in heaven, what, say it again? So say the whole line. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. That was the original line. Do y'all know that? That was the original line, and church people are so sensitive, we had to change it to an unforeseen kiss. Here's the problem. We all know what a sloppy wet kiss is, right? What is an unforeseen kiss? It's what the dude didn't get the other night, right? He didn't get a kiss from his girl, so it's unforeseen? Can we go back to sloppy wet kiss? Can we do that? Amen. Thank you. We'll do that later on. Thank you, guys. Love you, guys. I guess that means weights back, right? We talk about weird stuff. I talk to somebody in the front row. Everybody in the back row is going, who's he talking to? <laughs> hey, uh, y'all got Bible. Say yeah. yeah. Let's go there. John chapter 19. Let's do something uh, together. We'll start in verse 25 here in just a second. As you're turning there, let me just uh, kind of say a couple things. Uh, listen, your Bible, Bible app, whatever it is that you use, uh, we're going to go through just a few verses and just consider the thought process behind it. I'm excited to be with you guys. By the way, I, I know he said something about it, but I heard y'all had a pretty good week last week. Yeah. Uh, I got a chance to get on live and watch it a little bit. Listen, I'm always pumped to see life change. That is a beautiful thing. Uh, Listen, I know Zach's always saying it, but I I say it to you. Listen, don't ever, ever in your life get used to seeing that. There's a lot of churches that I go to that will see very few people go from death to life. And when you have a chance to see not just a couple of people, but literally people not only accepting the gospel, but saying, you know what, I'm going to put the the suit of armor on and I'm going to stand in front of everybody and give my profession of faith. And I'm the one that stands with the one, been changed by the one who walked on this earth. He died and he rose again. It is a beautiful thing. There's a church in Florida that I go to that kind of gets the church really excited about it. And so what happens is they've got three lights on the baptistry. And it's kind of interesting because when they walk in, there's this kind of like real dim light that comes on. And you don't know what it is, but it kind of like represents sin. As they go under the water, it turns red. And then when they come up, this white light comes on. And it's really bright like a spotlight. And the church just explodes I mean, it's one of those moments that if you like just walked in to visit the church and you saw that happen, you would be like, what in the world just happened? I mean, like standing ovation stuff. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody gets excited about life change. So listen, I loved to hear and to watch what was happening. And I know that God's going to continue to move. And listen, God's doing huge things in this ministry. So my hope is I just don't mess that up tonight, right? Yeah. I'm excited to be back this week and next week. And so listen, what what I'm doing tonight... Uh, really is a thought process off of last week. In other words, I'm one of those weird guys that doesn't want to just come in and preach a sermon. I want to do the best I can to take us from point A to point B, or really it was point A, and let's go to point B, and let's go to point C, because it's one thing to see life change. It's another thing to understand Jesus and what he does through that. And so tonight is a night that hopefully we can answer that. 
and we can just continue to see God move. Yeah? Yeah? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I ask in the next few minutes uh, that you would help us understand more about you. Because in the end, you are what matters. And I pray that as you continue to stay in this room, and we beg you, Lord, in, in the book of James, you say we have not because we've asked not. We ask you to stay in this place with us tonight because we need you. Salvation, we beg for. God, redemption, we beg for. Forgiveness, we need so bad. So I pray that we open our hearts and we come to the altar with our arms open wide, recognizing that you love us more than we can ever imagine. For in Jesus Christ's name we pray, all of us say, amen. It's interesting because I tell people things don't always work out the way you want them to. In other words, sometimes things happen that were opposite what you were hoping for. I've told you that I train for and run marathons, and uh, there was a point to where I tried to explain what that was to all my friends. Listen, when you finish a marathon, you feel like you can conquer the world. There's, there's nothing you can't do, and it's that feeling that you get, but it doesn't translate to, to, to somebody else that has not done that. And so I tried that for years, and finally there was a point to where I said this. You know what? I, I just want people to like cross the finish line and see what it's like, but not everybody can run 26 miles so, or 26.2 miles. And so in the end, I said this. You know, listen, there's a 10K in Birmingham. It's called the Vulcan Run, and I said this. There's 1,200 people. Let's get together. We can all train for 6.2 miles, and we're going to be good to go. And so I, it was fun for me because in one moment, I went from like preacher Wade to coach Wade. I'd never been a coach before. It just felt good to like take these people from point A to point B in their physical like nature. And so I got out there. One thing I told them was, listen, it, there's going to be a lot of excitement when the race starts. And so listen, when they say on your market, they say, go, everybody's going to freak. Everybody gets excited. Their adrenaline's running. Don't worry about anybody else. You run your race. It doesn't matter how fast you do the race. What matters is that you cross the finish line. And I promise you this, when you cross that line, regardless of what your time is, you'll get a small feeling of what I feel when I finish a marathon. And so that day, it was awesome because I, I finished the race and I saw everybody that I had trained cross that line. And I felt so good about it, was so excited about it. Like, yeah, But it was also a good day for me because I had uh, the fastest 10K time I'd ever had in my life. And I was super excited about that. And what's good about that is, uh, you know, in those big races, they put your name in the paper the next day with your time. And that's good because my wife does what's called scrapbooking. She like, you know, takes out like my times and puts it in a like scrapbook. The reason I think that's important is because one day I need my daughters to see I was in shape at some point in my life. Does that make sense? <laughs> I wanted to look back and go, man, dad was really in shape at some point. And so it was great. I was excited to get the paper, got the Birmingham news and my name wasn't there and it bothered me really bad. Um, so I called the Birmingham News. I'm actually being serious. And I said, listen, uh, my wife does scrapbooking, and I don't think y'all understand this. And my name was not in the paper. And, I can, and listen, I can tell you my time. They said, no, 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 it's not our fault. All we did was put in the names that the Birmingham Track Club sent us. Just, you know, call them. So I called them and said, listen, somebody did not send my name to the Birmingham News. And y'all don't understand. My wife does scrapbooking stuff. And so, therefore, you need to. And so it, it, this is the way it worked out. They, they, no, listen. You, you got to call somebody else. So finally, last ditch effort, I called up the Birmingham News and said, listen, you can trust me on my time. I'm a preacher. Preachers don't lie. Listen, <laughs> trust me. And so they hung up on me and I thought, okay, I should be okay with the time that I got. Like, I know my time. So I, I mean, I should go to bed at night knowing I did a good job. I mean, your name doesn't always have to be in the paper. And I was good for like three days because I got myself in that mentality and then it was interesting because like three days later, a buddy of mine called. He was supposed to run in the race, but he got called out of town on business. And, and the message that was left in my home was this. He said, man, listen, I'm sorry. I couldn't run the race with you guys. I trained for it, but I saw how well you did in the race, and I just wanted to congratulate you, bro. 
So I like called him up and I said, listen, my wife put you up to this, right? Because she knows I was psycho for like two days because I had to have my name in the He said, no, 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 no. I saw how well you did. I said, where did you find out? He said, the Birmingham News. I said, bro, my name's not there. I've gone through it. And he said, no, I promise you. And he told me the time that I got. And I was the only one that knew that. And I was like, where did you get my time? And he goes, it's in the Birmingham News. And I pulled out the paper and I'm like looking for my name again. And he started to laugh on the other end of the line. And I was like, bro, what's so funny? And he said, dude, if you look real close at the Birmingham News, you'll find out that Wade Morris was the sixth fastest female in that entire race. <laughs> and I was looking in the wrong column. For some weird reason, I was looking in the men's column. And then I thought, great, that's awesome, because now my kids are going to look back and know I was in shape and possibly a woman at some point in my life. <laughs> and it's a weird day, because here's what I figured out that day. I figured out, out of that funny situation... Things don't always work out the way you want them to. I mean, sometimes you see things in a certain way, and then every once in a while, you see it in a different way, and it starts to change you. It was interesting because when I was thinking about what I was going to talk to you about tonight, I thought, well, maybe this could be it, because I'm writing some stuff on the last words of Jesus. If Jesus is the one that we say, it's all about him, and in the end, all that matters is Jesus, and the words he said, we need to know. But it's one thing to like just read the Gospels and to understand that he like healed people. But the last words that he gave, sometimes those last words make a difference. And there's several things that you've heard before. I mean, some of his last words were when he was on the cross and the two thieves were next to him. And you've probably heard sermons like that time and time again. Matter of fact, it is an amazing set of verses. I mean, you've got two guys that are criminals next to him. One guy mocks him and says, hey, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the son of God, why don't you take yourself down and take us down in the process? He's mocking him. And it was the guy on the other side of him that starts to argue with the other thief and says this, hey, you and I committed crimes and we are guilty for what we have done. But this man is an innocent man and he has done nothing wrong. And it was then that Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Some translations say, verily, verily, I say unto you, this day you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you find out in that moment, salvation is not just a prayer that you pray. It is about you believing in who Jesus is. Because when you believe in him, then you choose to follow him. And that's one of those sets of verses that you see and you just get. You don't have to have somebody preach that to you. You just go, wow. That is amazing. But there's another story that happened that's not quite as vivid. And I was reading it the other day and I thought, man, maybe I just want to kind of write this just for you guys. And let's see what happens. Because it was one of those moments that I'm reading it. And I've read it probably as many times as you have, hundreds of times. And then I came across and thought, I think if I thought about this in a different perspective, then maybe it could bring life change. And it did to me. And my hope is that it will to you. So... Very interesting set of verses. If you got your Bibles, John chapter 19, starting in verse 25, says it like this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When he saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. Let's read it again. Verse 25, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
And when Jesus saw the, his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, by the way, it was John, by the way. And the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son, meaning he's talking about John. Here is your son. And he said, Dear, he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, she went with him and became his mother. It's interesting. Because that's some of the last words of Jesus. I mean, he's on the cross dying for the sins of the entire world. And he looks down because he's hoisted up in the air. And as he looks down, he sees his mother distraught. And in the midst of that, some of his last words, hey, mom, that's your son. Hey, son, friend, this is now your mom. What do you get out of that? In other words, it's one thing to read scripture and just take it for what it says. It's another thing to understand what's really happening. Spiritually, Jesus is dying for the sins of the world. Practically, a mother is watching her son be murdered. There's a lot going on in that passage right there. As you see a mother watching her son being murdered, she recognizes and knows she can do nothing about it. All she can do is stand and watch. As Jesus is on the cross, he loves his mother. He's perfect. And you know, the Bible says this, he's 100% God and he's 100% man. So as much as he's dying for the sins of the world, his heart is going out for his mom whose heart is breaking. And he knows, by the way, exactly what she's going through. When I saw that, I thought, man, I wonder what all goes into that statement that Jesus said. Sometimes you've got to know it's more than just what's said. He looks down in the midst of that. He says, mother, this is now your son. Embrace him. Son, this is now your mother. Get together. And it wasn't too long after that that he died. I wonder what he meant by that. As I thought through that, I thought, we saw people go from death to life. We saw people say, listen, Jesus has saved me and I stand with him. Do you understand how much Jesus truly loves you. It's one thing for somebody like me to say that. It's another thing for you to really understand that in Scripture. Because I believe that what you will find out when you read that passage many times over, that was a love letter to his mother. Don't get me wrong. If it's a love letter to his mother and it's here, it's for you and me. And when I saw that, I thought maybe... This can teach us tonight. So if you're taking some notes, write down just a few thoughts. If you're not taking notes, just put your mindset in this. I believe that in that statement of Jesus, number one, he was telling his mother, I care about you physically. I care about you physically. In other words, he's saying the statement, mother, behold your son. In that moment, recognize again, a mother is seeing her son murdered. Think about what she's going through. It doesn't even matter if she completely gets, well, he's got to die for the sins of the world. It's still her son. And you can imagine what she's going through. Anytime you and I go through horrific situations, what is the very first thing we need? I need a hug. And in a weird way, when you watch this, it's almost like he's saying this. Hey, Mary, I know what you're going through. Hey, John, hug her for me. In that one moment, 
He says, Mary, I'm dying for the sins of the world, but I need you to know I care about you physically. I know that you need somebody to touch you right now. In other words, I say it to you like this. You and I forget that a lot. I, I forget it a lot. See, we come into moments like this, and it's all, it's all about like the holy touch, right? It's like, look at what God is doing, and God's doing some really huge things here. And I think that is amazing because God is the one in his power that changes us and creates moments like we have had in the last several years here. But you've got to recognize it's a statement that I said to you that is not mine. I got it from my pastor a long time ago. You and I don't only just need a holy touch, we also need a human touch. It was almost as if Jesus was saying this to her. I can't be here with you physically, but you need somebody. You need somebody to touch you right now. So embrace and behold John right now. Do you recognize that's a message to you and me, in my opinion, that we need the same thing? I think sometimes we see life change happen like you saw last week and you see people go from death to life. It is an amazing thing. And we kind of just stop right there. Can I say something to you? Church was made so that you could enjoy it. But church was made, I'm talking about the entity. I know you are the church. But in the end, we do life together. Why? The Christian life was not meant to do alone. That's why it's always talking about community. In that one moment, he's saying that he could have just said, hey, mom, listen, I'm not, I got to die for the sins of the world. But he said, no, 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 no. Hey, listen, embrace him. You need a son and he's going to be it for you right now. Can I just say this to you? Do you know that you need church? Let me say it to you like this. There has to be a point with college students, because I speak to a lot of college students from the country, that you recognize that overflow is not church. It's a service. Don't get me wrong. God's doing huge things here, and I love coming here. But if you're not careful, you're going to miss the idea of the gospel, and it's you pouring into other people's lives and them pouring into yours. One of the biggest things that happens with college students is there are churches that tend to back off of like pouring in finances to college things. Doesn't happen here, but they don't, they don't pour in like resources to college things. You know why? Because they see you sometimes showing up at a thing like this and you don't end up in church somewhere. Here's the idea. Listen, I'm not asking you to come to this church. I don't come to this church. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. But I'm saying this to you. If you are a Christian, you need to be in church somewhere. If it's here, that's a beautiful thing. Come. You know the people that are going to be here. But you need to understand when you give your life to Jesus, there is no way in the world you can read scripture and understand that you can do it all by yourself. It's almost as if Jesus is saying this, are you hurting? Then embrace the person next to you. Are you going through a tough time? Then embrace them. It's what you start to understand that the care that Jesus is showing his mom is, I know what you need right now and I can't give it to you so there's this entity created called the church to give it. It's almost like what he said to his disciples. He said to his disciples in Acts, there's a time that I'm going to be gone, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send my spirit to you so that you know that I am still alive. And the idea behind that is you and I, when we take our first steps to say, Jesus, please forgive me. Please save me. And then our first step of obedience, I'm going to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I promise you the next step is 
being involved in church, not just you getting something out of it, but you putting something into it. And you start to find out it's a beautiful thing. He cares about you physically, but I believe in that statement. He was saying more. He was also saying to Mary, number two, I care about you emotionally as well. It's an interesting thought, but when he says, behold your son. Hey, John, behold your mother. Understand, as he's dying for the sins of the world, he knows what his mother is going through, and he knows how distraught that she is. Could you imagine the emotions going through her watching her son die? She's got to be a nervous wreck. She's got to be literally anxiety, depression, everything in one shot. And this is what I thought about. Don't you find it amazing that Jesus loved Mary so much that he literally in that statement said this, hey, by the way, while I'm dying for the sins of the world, I'm going to make sure you get a hug. Did you recognize that? While he's dying for the sins of the entire world, he had time to make a statement to his mother so she could get a hug. Let me say this to you. If Jesus cares that much about her, don't you think he cares about you like that? When we think of Jesus, it's always this, he's on the cross. He is the creator. Wow, we, are, we revere him. All of those things are true, but do you recognize he's all things to all people? I'm saying this to you. As much as he cares about the world, he cares about you. When you read in Psalm, it says when he thinks about you, it outnumbers the grains of the sand. He's talking about an individual person. When he thinks about you, it outnumbers the grains of the sand. You know what that means? Jesus is obsessed with you. He thinks about you a whole bunch. And it's when you start to like get that, it makes sense. The problem is we don't get it. There was a book a long time ago. It became a movie. And I think you know, it, was, it was funny to me. And the guys will get this. The girls, you know, you're a little bit more emotional and I get it. Um, there was a book in a movie called He's Not That Into You. Okay, you've heard that before. When the book came out, the lady that wrote it was on the Today Show. And as they were doing an interview with her, Matt Lauer was talking to her. And he said, hey, listen, you got this book. It's like a bestseller. It's awesome. You're making millions of dollars. That's so good. You know, tell me the concept of the book. And here's what she said. She said, well, I wrote this book so that women can understand when men are into them and when they're not into them. So she said this. If a guy never calls you, if he never asks you out on a date, if he never buys you presents, if he never gives you the time of the day, then you need to know He's just not that into you. And Matt Lauer looked and goes, you got to read a book to figure that out. <laughs> I mean, listen, you don't need to read a 300-page book. I, I can just tell you right now, dude doesn't like you. <laughs> and by the way, you should know that by now. As you think about that, and I know it's a funny story, but hear my heart. Dude, Jesus is into you. He thinks about you and it outnumbers the grains of the same. Have y'all ever heard this before? Because when I was, I didn't go to church until I was 13 years old, but I started to hear the statements. That, most of y'all grew up in church, right? Yep. Have you ever heard this statement? God knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. You've heard that before, right? He knows every hair on your head. I remember when I heard that, it messed me up really bad because like for four months, I just wondered how many hairs I had on my head. <laughs> like it bothered me that somebody knows and I don't, right? And I would sit around and just, you know, okay, well, let's see, that's like 15. So if I were like, you know, there's got to be some like math person in here that can figure that out. It's a weird thing to think about that. He, 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 like, 
There's scriptures about that. He thinks about you, it outnumbers the grains of the sand. He knows the numbers of the hair on your head. I mean, you do recognize that's so insignificant. What difference does it make how many hairs you have on your head? But it matters to him. I'm going to tell you this. This is just, just me. That's just one of those things that I stop and think this. If he knows how many numbers of like, hairs I have on my head, it just tells me that he, he really does care about you having your heart broken. If he cares enough for Mary to get a hug, he really cares enough that you're going through depression right now. If he knows every little hair on your head, he cares that you're dealing with anxiety. He cares that you don't feel loved. In that moment, when you start to think about it, think about the bigness. Jesus is dying for the sins of the world. Don't you think in that moment he could have said this? Hey, Mary, I know you need a hug right now, but I got bigger things to do. Wouldn't that make sense to you and me? But understand this. He never has bigger things to do when it comes to you. That's how much he loves you. It's the emotional side of who he is that even though he is changing the world, he cares that you woke up this morning. That's why you spend time with him, by the way. Because in case you don't know it, nobody on this earth is going to care about you like that. Nobody on this earth is ever going to give you the time of day like that. And that's why we give him our devotion in our lives. I just went through probably the most emotional time I just had to deal with a couple days ago. I, I, I've had things happen to me just like you, but I've got somebody really close to me. I've got an adopted family because I've told you all before. I had a bunch of stepfathers and stuff, and like I've, I've been on my own. But there was a family in Birmingham that adopted me into them, and they, they didn't have to do that. They just said, you know what? We love you. Come spend Christmas with us. We'll get you presents, and that was cool for me, right? And it's been probably 20 years they've been in my life. I was the, the kids that were there. I was their youth pastor, and now we're friends. And it was really a long week because I went from a few days ago being in a room where the father was going to go and be cut open so that they can take the cancerous tumor out. And when they cut him open, they found out that the cancer was a lot more and they just closed him up and said, it's just a matter of time now. At the exact same time, very few people knew this, but that man's son, who is my friend, his wife was pregnant with a baby that has trisomy 18, which they said, if, she, if the baby doesn't die in your stomach, it'll live just a couple of minutes. So I flew in from Michigan on Sunday and went straight to the hospital. And as I was there, I, I listen, you learn just to sit there. I don't, I don't have to give spiritual words. I'm just going to sit there. And there was probably several hours that, you know me, I can entertain people really well. And we're in the waiting room and I'm like saying the craziest stuff ever. I got people laughing. And then all of a sudden it was go time. It was like, hey, we don't know what's going to happen. But we think she's about to have the baby. And I had to go back there and listen to somebody say to her, hey, before you go into labor, we, we need you to sign this sheet of paper. Um... That, that says if your baby dies, you're going to have a funeral. 
And I'm sitting there going, am I supposed to be in the room? I don't, this is, I mean, you're saying that to her before she gives birth. Then she starts to go into labor and I'm sitting out there and all of a sudden I get a text from my friend who's the father of the baby. And he says this on Sunday night late, it was probably about midnight. And he said, are you still here? I need to talk. I knew it was bad. We were all hoping that, you know, God can do miracles because we know he can. And I walk back there and I sit with him and he looks at me and he says this. Hey, uh, is the photographer out there? And I go, yeah. I mean, what you need? He goes, well, listen, he died. I don't know what to do. I go, what do you mean? Am I supposed to get a picture of me and my wife and my dead baby? What do I do? He goes, my eight-year-old son is asking if he can see his brother. What, what do I do? We talk through it. We pray through it. And it wasn't too long later that they called me back. And I walk into a room. And there's about five of us. And his wife is sitting there. And they had swaddled the baby up. And she was just holding it as if it was alive. Spending those moments. And she was singing it as well with my soul. And it was one of those moments that I was caught off guard because I know you're supposed to just stand there. And out of nowhere, she looks and she says this. Not to anybody in particular. There's about five of us in the room. And she says this. Does anybody want to hold the baby? And I'm just going to be honest with you. I've never been in that moment before. I mean, as much as I love her, I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, I, I don't. But I don't know what I'm going to say to you right now. And there was like eight or ten seconds of dead silence. Awkward. And out of nowhere, the lady that's like my mom, that's her mother-in-law, looks her dead in the eyes and says this, I would love to hold your baby. And she grabs that baby and she holds it as though it's her own. And in my mind, here's what I thought. That's the answer. My answer is, yeah, I want to hold your baby. But I was going through all of that and I thought, you do recognize that God is in all that. Even when we don't have answers, he cares enough about us to love us through the process. I don't know why a baby would die, but he cares. Some of you saw the video just recently where they were having the white supremacist rally. And a black man runs up to one of the guys that was the white supremacist, the racist, and he grabs him and he hugs him and he asks him the question, why do you hate me so much? And you know what the white supremacist racist said? I don't know. It's a testament that we're not born into this world trying to hate people. We learn to do that. But when I saw that video, you know what I thought? A lot of us have answers like that. I don't know. And God loves you. Some of you are still searching, trying to figure out if Jesus is even still real. Some of y'all saw the baptisms last week, and you're sitting there going, I still don't get that. And if I were to ask, why are you here tonight? Here's your answer. I don't even know. You know what? And he still died for you. In the midst of him being the creator and the savior of the world, he cares about each and every single moment of your life. And it's when you start to embrace that that you start to recognize, oh, how he loves us. 
That's when you get the statement, if grace were an ocean, we'd be drowning. Because he loves you and thinks about you that much. He cared about her and you physically. He cares about you and me and her emotionally. Embrace. And then I'll say the last thing if you're taking notes. I believe in that statement he was saying to Mary, I care about you spiritually as well. Understand what's happening one more time. You have to put yourself in the mindset that Jesus is on the cross dying for the sins of the world. His mother is distraught. She doesn't know what to do. Embrace your son. He is now your son. You need a human touch. You need to go through life together. I can't be here. I care about you that in the midst of me dying for the whole sins of all the world, I'm going to make sure that your needs are taken care of right now. But at the same time, he cared about her spiritually when he made that statement. And you say, what do you mean? Do you notice in that statement there was a role reversal? Because up until that moment, Mary was the mother and Jesus was the son. But when you know that she's distraught and she would give anything probably if she could help her son, instead of saying, I'm going to come off this cross and I'm going to hug you, mom, because you need this from me. I am your son. He said this. Oh, no, 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 no. John, embrace her and Mary, embrace him because I'm not coming off this cross. In that one moment, Jesus went from being her son to being her savior. As much as humanly it hurt him not to come down and console his mother, it was as if he was looking into all time and saying this, I'm going to keep these like nails in my hands right now. Because if he had come off that cross, none of us could have been saved. By the way... If he'd come off that cross, Mary couldn't have been saved either. It's in that understanding that you realize that's the bigness of who he is. That is why we celebrate him. Because in the midst of being the God of the universe, he loves me. He cares so much about me that he stayed on the cross and did everything so that one day, I would come and say, Jesus, would you please forgive me? Would you please save me? And one day, some of you would do that. And one day, I promise, you will recognize that when all those baptisms were happening, Jesus in heaven was saying, well done, my good and faithful servants. It's a beautiful thing, but you have to embrace it. I read an article just recently, and it kind of took me by surprise because I'm a finance major. But here's what it said. Last year in America... There were $1 billion in gift cards that were not redeemed. Let, let, let me give you the answer, because some of y'all are going to go start looking through your stuff later on. <laughs> Somebody gave you some, like, gift card from Banana Republic of the Gap for Christmas last year, and you, like, lost it, and it's, like, sitting, like, underneath, like, your car seat or something, and you still haven't turned it in. Somebody paid, like, 100 bucks for you, and it still hadn't been turned in. In America, $1 billion in unclaimed gift cards. Of course, that got my mind rolling like crazy. And I was like, man, all those people are dumb. I would never do that. And I, then I started going through my car, thinking maybe I got something in here. But then I did a study, and I know this is going to sound weird to you because I like to do the spiritual stuff every once in a while. Do you know in the Bible, 
for you and me, there's over 3,000 promises that we get. In the Bible, for believers, there are over 3,000 promises that here's what I figured out just the other day that go unredeemed every single week. If I had a chance to come and do a six-week series, I'd love to do it. You have a promise of eternal life. You have a promise of abundant life. There are promises to have life. There are promises to recognize that you can be forgiven for anything that you have done. There are promises that you will be loved. There are promises that you will be taken care of. And you know what's weird to me? Just like Americans, we don't cash them in. Listen, Jesus died on a cross and went through all that. Not so that you couldn't cash in those promises. He did it so that you would claim them. And my hope is tonight, for some of you, maybe you're going to claim the promise of salvation. Maybe you claim the promise of abundant life. Maybe some of you would claim the promise that you just want him to know that he, you want him to know that he cares about you in the midst of your anxiety and depression. But you need to embrace it. And you need to claim it. We live in a day where people are scared of church sometimes because they have bad experiences. I was thinking about it even as I was speaking. It wasn't in the sermon, but I thought to myself, it's kind of funny to me because people are always like, well, I know you're telling me I need to go to church somewhere and that's good. But, you know, man, I just had a bad experience. And usually the bad experience is from another person. It's just the truth. I mean, very seldom is a bad experience. Uh... I really got messed up because that worship guy didn't have any hair, and I just was like, ooh, I can't do church anymore. <laughs> you know what usually it is? Somebody offended you. Somebody upset you. Somebody did something that was really dumb, and it's messed you up. You know why that happened? Because there's people just like you in church. They're just like you, by the way. We all mess up, and we all say dumb things. I remember a preacher saying it a long time. He's a long time ago. He was like, hey, man, you need to come to church. You need to do this. And he said, but I hear people all the time say, I don't want to go to church. Why? Because there's a bunch of hypocrites. And here's what he said. Hey, dude, get over that. You can either go to church with some of them or go to hell with all of them. <laughs> I know it sounds interesting to you, but here's what I'm trying to say. Church, you and me, we're not perfect, but Jesus is. And he does what he does for you and me lavishly and abundantly so that even tonight some of you would say, I'm ready to claim that promise. I want that grace that he's offering me tonight. Do this. Just bow with me just for one second. As you bow before the Lord, as just the guys come out to lead us in one last song, here's where my heart is tonight. My heart's to be able to offer some of you and some of us for that matter, I won't say you, some of us Maybe a chance to be able just to sit with God and let him minister to us. And when I say that, so many times we're willing to do things for God because that's so easy, but it's so hard to sit with him and just to let him fill us. And I want to give some of you a chance to worship the Lord as they sing, but I want to give some of you a chance to maybe just be able to just have some ministry done in your life. So let's do this as they're just getting us ready. Can y'all just stand together just right where you are? Just everybody just stand where you are, balcony to the, to the bottom. And can I ask this, just with your heads bowed, 
Can I ask some, some of the, man, the overflow team, some of you guys, can y'all just come up here? Not just team, what, what do we call these people? What? Student leaders. Yeah, can y'all, just some of y'all just come, just, just, can you just be around the front? I mean, I don't, I don't care if you kneel, have your back toward the crowd, your back to, front to the crowd. It doesn't matter to me, it doesn't matter. Just kind of, whatever you want to be, just spread out or whatever. And let me just, let me just offer this. What song are we going to sing? Can I just ask that question? Oh, come to the altar. That's a good, that's good. It's funny because you don't know behind the scenes sometimes. I was back there and they were like, one song after you preach. I go, what song do you do? And he goes, I'll figure it out when you're speaking. And they do it so well. Listen, I'm not trying to be super emotional for you guys. And when I say that, I, I know that things, some guy get emotional. Hey, some of y'all get, get over here. Y'all are like crowding up like you're getting in a huddle for a football game. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you. Here, here's what I'm offering. <clears throat> not given a formal invitation. It's not, it's not about that. I want us to worship. And for some of you, that's all you need to do. You just need to sing, come to the altar and be pumped about it because maybe God opens your mind with one thought and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to think about him and I'm going to sing this song, scream it out loud. That's beautiful. But I believe there's maybe one of you, two of you that would say, you know what? Something struck my heart tonight. Maybe you've gone through a really tough time this week. And I don't, I don't even mean in your life, maybe just this week. And you would like somebody just to minister with you, sit with you. I want you to feel what church is like. We talk about going to church. Church is doing life together. I don't care if this is your first time at Overflow or you've been here for three years in a row. When we start to sing, if you need somebody just to pray with you, you've got a bunch of people, that, by the way, a bunch of them, that would love to do that. All you have to do is just walk down, tap one of them on the back, and you don't even need to explain your life story. All you got to say is, will you pray for me? If you want to say something, they'll listen to everything you got. They'll even give you advice if God brings it to them. But they're not here to give you the answers. They're here to do life with you. That's what church is. So as we sing, let's worship. But if the worship needs to be done with the healing of your heart, will you let that happen tonight? I mean, listen... If you're in here and you say, I've been listening for the last several weeks and maybe you received the Lord last week while you were watching all this and Zach got up and talked and you said, you know what? I, I received the Lord. And you want to come up and just tell somebody? Praise the Lord for that. We'd love to hear that. If you want to come up and say, you know what? I've been watching all this and listening to Zach. I, I want to follow through in believer's baptism. Tell somebody. That's fine. But don't leave being hurt knowing that God cares for you that much. I'm going to leave it up to you. I'm not going to come back up and beg you to come. It's all on you. I, I figured out a long time ago. You don't have to tell a drowning man how to cry for help. If he's drowning, he might not say the word help, but he's going to get your attention. If his grace was an ocean, we'd be sinking. Get his grace tonight. We're here to pray with you and talk with you. Sit with you. Father, thank you so much for your grace I wish that I could explain grace, but all I know is I can feel it. And Lord, I pray that as we have a chance to sing and the guys lead us, that Lord, maybe your spirit would roam through this room and we would see what we prayed for. Salvation, obedience, but Lord, let us do life together. I pray there would be a broken heart mended tonight. Because of you. And I pray that as people start to walk down 
this aisle to touch somebody to say, would you pray for me? I pray that they would recognize whoever they touch has had their heart broken and they know what it feels like. So we're all in this together, Lord. Help us. First, in your name we pray with heads bowed and eyes closed. If the guys can just sing for us and we just stay in an attitude of prayer. If you need to come, just come down. Just experience prayer and ministry tonight. Thank you for listening to the Overflow Podcast. Please feel free to download and share with friends. We ask that you do not alter any of the previous content in any way. For more information about Overflow, feel free to visit us online at overflowdenton.org.